From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. Good Friday afternoon to you. We are here this week with our friend John Musser. John is a Starting Strength coach and an executive protection guy. And we're going to talk to John about executive protection here in a minute. But first, as usual, comments Comments from from the the haters. haters. We add that reverb. It's not, <laughs> we have to add the reverb. It's not just I don't. Not, you, you can't it's do not, that. It's not just me. No. What the no, fuck? No, we had to. I, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So this week, <laughs> this week we've got several interesting things here. A, a anonymous poster by the name of Millions Social Media says, "This is about our quit putting the plates on the bar wrong." video he says i'd beat the living shit out of him if he talked to me in that tone at the gym <laughs> taking it says tone. says an anonymous fuck <laughs> an anonymous fuck on the youtube comments <laughs> that's great the other ones are less threatening but they're they're still hurtful but goo magoo says he looks like he knows about plates. Dinner plates. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Why? Here, Philip Zanoni says, Why am I watching this guy with the huge beer gut? With his hands in his pockets. Allowing me to sleep with that slow-ass, uninspired, mundane talk Goid Lord, put some pep in your step or move on. What well, Philip was an English major, wasn't he? Tell Philip was an English major. Up oh, again, Mark Penis Ripito strikes again. If you only knew, he never mentions how long. See, there's that theme. A sausage. Should be for a man. He only mentions how fat you have to be to squat 200 kilos. Must be a European. 200 kilos. Right? Guy with a gut and no muscle. Really throwing out the tips. That's Jeremy Sims. And Google user says, this is what an angry fat man looks like. That's hurtful. This is... They... You, John, you know this. I, I, this to me every fucking week. I have to read this shit every week, and I'm and I just knowing that there's one person out there that doesn't like me. Oh, shit. Do we, do we know that it's actually users from social media and it's not your own staff? No, oh, I don't think. It's not you guys doing this shit, is it? Is it? I'm not seeing a bunch of Oh, uh, they're not denying I'm it. I'm not seeing a lot, yeah. Well, anyway, that's it for comments from the haters. So, after that devastating psychological blow, 
I'm ready to have some fun here. We're going to talk to John Musser this week. John, thank you for coming from Virginia. Thanks for having me. Uh, you can't be happy about the Virginia legislature. No. And the new gun laws. I'm not happy I'm not happy about it. Maybe will. And unfortunately, I can point some pretty clear fingers at uh, why it happened. Yeah. It's insider threat stuff, right? Right. Oh, ourselves. really? We did it to ourselves, right? Yeah, sure. The Republican Party did it themselves. They always do it. The NRA did it themselves. They always do they, it They're to the themselves. ones that did it. So yeah. that, that's who we blame. So here we are. Yeah. And now it can't be undone, at least not for a couple of years, and we're going to see what happens. That's right. Those of you that don't know what we're talking about, look it up. Okay. So, anyway, uh, John has been in the executive protection business for a long time, and uh, he's worked for a lot of people that you know. And today, this is a fascinating business. I think uh, those of you that are familiar with what it is will be interested in this. But those of you that don't know what executive protection is, you're going to find this to be a fascinating discussion because uh, most people that are in a high-profile situation, most people that, that are in a high-income situation, that are power situation, must have personal protection when they go out in public. And uh, they go out in public a lot, and so there are a lot of people that are involved in the business of protecting these people in a public situation. And uh, let's talk to John about this. John, what exactly is executive protection? All right, so executive protection is protecting people. So personal protection is also a good term because it's a little bit more inclusive, right? Executive protection implies it's executive. Mm-hmm. It, could be a, it could be a celebrity. It could be a child. It could be uh, someone, a, a person, personal protection. A so, person who might be exposed to a threat of some sort. Right. With, without getting crazy down in the weeds, it's all about risk. So risk is three factors, right? The threat towards your asset, the vulnerability that you have towards that particular threat, and the impact if the threat accomplishes its goal. That's what equals risk. Mm-hmm. So when you look at those three things, then you define if there is a risk and if the risk calls for something to be done about it. There's such a thing right. as acceptable risk, right? right. And, and, and then if it's not acceptable, you apply a countermeasure. And the countermeasure is to reduce the vulnerability, reduce the threat, or reduce the impact in case of the threat uh, being successful. So these guys aren't just standing around. There's actually some calculation to be done in terms of assessing the threat to the asset, the person being protected. Right. And some kind of a decision tree obviously gets applied to what we need to do, how much of it we need to do, this sort of thing. So an executive protection specialist is versed in all of this kind of analysis. They should be. It doesn't mean that they are, but the very best ones are versed in it, right? So um, the the countermeasure, you, you decide like, Every day you do some form of risk assessment, right? You decided mm-hmm. to put your seatbelt on. You decided not to put your seatbelt on. You decided to lock your door. Right. Decided not to lock your door. So every day you do a risk assessment. Sure. When you're looking at a an, at a person that you're going to protect, you look at that risk based on the environment that they're going to be in because mm-hmm. it changes when they're in their house 
it could be one thing. When they're out in public, it could be another. When they're on a red carpet, walking through a red carpet, it could be another one, right? So it's a constantly changing. Driving thing. down the street. Could Driving be down the street could be another one. Uh, the uh, very best do these risk assessments in their mind every step of the way. When you're in the VIP section at the strip club, it's one thing. When you walk to the bar, it's another. When they go into the restroom, it's another. When you're on the way to the car, it's another. So it's a constantly evolving thing. Right. Um, the, uh, the very best do these assessments. Now, people that aren't the very best, the people aren't good at it, they're just somebody standing along, following behind somebody, wearing a shoot-me-first earpiece and, uh, and just walking along behind them. So who is going to have um, executive protection? And what does it look like when they have executive protection? So the, uh, anyone that's at risk and they can afford it or that somebody else can afford it for them is who's going to have the executive protection, right? Mm -hmm. So if they need it. The, um, you'll have celebrities, obviously, uh, politicians, uh, statesmen, businessmen, uh, witness protection, all these different uh, government figures, all these different people uh, can have a high enough risk that executive protection would be an appropriate countermeasure. So, What is the risk generally? Is it kidnapping? Is it murder? Is it just in invasion of personal space? What What is the risk? So it depends on the asset, right? So mm -hmm. so when I'm, when I'm taking care of somebody and when the people that I know do this and my friends do this, when they're taking care of somebody, they're not only looking after the, the, the threat to their physical well-being, which could be assault, could be kidnapping, could be uh, assassination, could be any of those. They're not only looking at that. They're looking at protecting them financially. They're looking at protecting them from embarrassment. They're looking from protecting them from all things. So you're looking at a full spectrum of things. If it costs you money, if it hurts you physically, if it hurts you emotionally, right, if it hurts you mentally, then that's something that I should be considering and try to protect you from. When I, right. when I, uh, the clients that I had, uh, going back 30 years now, uh, longer than 30 years, 30, few, 30 some years, the clients I had, I, in my mind, I'm still looking out for them today because of the, the lifestyles that I was exposed to, the things I know about them, the being uh, in close personal contact with them, you still look out for them and you don't mention their names, you don't talk stories about them, you're still looking out for them now. Right. So, so the answer to your question is, you're looking at all sorts of threats, whether it's financial, personal, embarrassment, any of those things. Right. Yeah. And I guess determining what threats the person might be liable to is part of the... Yeah. What the, or what not, everybody's, not everybody's going to be exposed to the same level of threat. That's right? exactly right. So, so if, you, if, you look at the, if you look at the risk model, you're, you are vulnerable. The threat's strengths, their intents and their capabilities, their strengths determine what your vulnerabilities are, right? right. Because I'm protecting against a thing. So, so a lot of times security is best served by reducing your vulnerabilities because it's the thing that you can control the most, right? You choose to put a seatbelt on or not put a seatbelt on. Right. You've reduced your vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. So the same thing when protection. You reduce their vulnerability by managing their travel, by making the logistics go smooth, by making sure everything goes perfectly smoothly without any hitches. They don't wait in line at places. They don't have to, they don't get stuck in traffic as often as other people do. All of those things reduce your overall vulnerability. So uh, Bill Gates might have a different uh threat profile than 
Julia Roberts or somebody like e- that. Everyone's right? going to have a different. Everybody's got to. Yeah. So now there there's some similar profiles. So if you have a client that's going to a to an overseas venue or something, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't have any particular threats against th- this particular person individually. However, uh, I know that when someone similar to this person, whether it's a celebrity or a businessman or something, has traveled to this location, these are some of the things that they faced. Mm-hmm. So then you you can you anticipate that and you look for people that have. Uh, used clients similar to yours, and how they did business, and and how they um, uh, how they did business if they were directed against your client. So, uh, executive protection obviously then is involved in in any kind of exposure that the the asset would be exposed to long before the actual trip itself takes place. Yes. Right. Yeah. They yes. don't just bring you in the day the guy leaves. They, they should. The house, they should. Right. They should not. They should not. Now, occasionally, uh, that does happen, but it shouldn't happen. Uh, the stuff that you do prior to a client's arrival at a location is called the advance work. Mm-hmm. It's the things that you do prior to arrival. So, if I get five steps ahead of you and I look into the nightclub or I look in the door, then I'm five steps ahead. That that that's my advance. That five steps ahead. Right. Or if I'm going to a foreign country and I'm there a week before you get there, then that week is the advance too. Right. Do you know what I mean? So, sure. Sure. So um, the uh, so you would have time if you're a week there in advance. You know where the client's going to be. Yes. You'll have already been there. Yes. You'll have looked at the topography, the geography of the situation. Yeah. Identified the holes and the gaps in holes the, exactly. The yep. Gaps in the in the in the ability to protect the person in right. this pretty this particular situation right. and we'll have made some plans for it by then. you make some plans for it and then you revisit them uh before i, I came here today i don't you know i don't do much stuff like this just, just, right you know so um i called a few people to talk to them uh, to number one i wanted to i wanted to make sure it was all right if i used their names not clients but people i've worked with right and then i wanted to get some input from them of some things that they'd like what 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 are some things that they would like to for me to bring up, right? So when you're talking about gaps, um, when you uh, when a client has a, a movie premiere and it goes international, mm-hmm. the uh, the market it's more um, transparent now, but it's always been this way. The world market for a movie is tremendous, right? It's right. a huge percentage of the of the gross sales of a movie, or can be, or overseas, overseas, right. or overseas. So these press junk or these uh, movie premieres that they go overseas are really important and they usually hit four or five countries in the same trip uh, and a lot of these and countries the, and the releasing company will have planned the the release of these of these movies yeah. in, in in sync with the stars who are going to open the movie that's at right. the location that's right so so each trip is going to involve a red carpet appearance where they shake hands. Right. Each trip's going to involve a press junket, which are generally pretty easy to manage, a dinner at some point, and then maybe some other sort of event. Each trip has those things. And along the way, you've got hotels that you have to advance. You've got airports you have to advance. You've got to address all of these things. Mm-hmm. So when you travel internationally, if somebody doesn't travel internationally, they may be very good domestically, but it's not the same challenges that you face internationally because of the language barriers, the culture barriers, all those sort of mm-hmm. things. So uh, we, uh, we developed a, a, man- a way of managing these press or these uh, movie releases a while back. So, and it's still the model that a lot of them use today. Mm-hmm. So the one that, that I'm thinking of right now, it started out in Tokyo. 
I met with a, a guy named Cobham. He's really he's a talented guy. He uh, he was a bouncer, talented bouncer, and then he was a state trooper, and then he went in the military in the first Gulf War, and then he came back out and became a state trooper, and then he became executive protection guy. He's pushing 60 now. All right. Really talented martial artist, really talented, capable, tough guy. Mm-hmm. So we're in Tokyo. Uh, we worked the red carpet. I showed him how I worked the red carpet, and we were with a client that was exceptionally well-known. He was one of the biggest ones at the time, and he was known for spending a lot of time on the red carpet. He might spend an hour and a half on the red carpet, and then he would go inside the movie. The movie would start. He would come back out and spend more time on the red carpet. Um, In these venues, they've got crowds that it's really hard to imagine seeing this thousands and thousands upon people lined up on this red carpet. Yeah, oh yeah, thousands of people lined up. They were wanting to shake hands with the guy. Wanting to shake hands with the guy, wanting to cheer, wanting to scream. And then the production companies, before this movie starts, they they pump this they pump this information out. They let everybody know where the movie premiere is going to be. They try to get as much press as they can out of it. Right, So sure. you know what you're walking into, right? Yeah, you're yeah. extremely exposed. Extremely exposed. So we, um, so Tokyo went real smooth. And then uh, after Tokyo, we went to uh, Singapore. And Singapore, uh, Tokyo, then Singapore, Singapore, we get to Singapore, and they've got these uh, little barricades set up. And they were the smaller bicycle-sized barricades. They weren't large enough for the crowd, but we didn't have time or the assets to get anything else in, so we had to deal with it. So the guy, Cobham's on the ground. He's walking the route. He sees that these barricades are put in not appropriately, so all you have to do is lift them up to completely unlatch him. So he's stealing flex cuffs off all the local cops, and he's having one of the guys go to the hardware store and pick up zip ties simply to try to tie these just barricades back secure the back barriers yeah. back yeah. Yeah. a little bit better. Just a little they? bit better. Not perfect, right? right? No countermeasure is perfect, and everything good a countermeasure right. does does something bad. But So he was going through doing all that. So when you talk about identifying a gap, that's a relatively small thing, but it can make the difference between somebody being waiting on your red carpet or not, right? Right. So um, that was a that was a very uh, interesting trip in terms of the, the the screaming crowds, and I've got pictures of me and you know with this guy as he's shaking hands and and the hours you spend on the red carpet, you know. And when you're most of the time, you try to keep a very big picture view of stuff mm-hmm. so that you can see more. But when you're working a guy on the red carpet and he's shaking hands and it's and it's just crowds are just deep and there's thousands of people right. screaming it would be music's... impossible for you to assess each one of those individuals no. in the crowd well the, you can't assess each individual but what you do is is you know the music's playing people are screaming so what you do is is your world shrinks and you're watching each set of hands as it shakes the guy's hand in front of you and you're trying to scan the hands in front of you and trying to scan the hand in the back of you and you're doing this sometimes for an hour an hour and a half at a time wow so it's it's a it's a level of intensity and focus yeah, that's that a, lot of focus. a lot of people don't they don't get to experience. Right. And another thing that happened on that trip uh, is the, we went to Seoul in the middle. And we were doing I would do leapfrog, so I would hit location one, two, and maybe four. You know what I mean? So I'd skip mm-hmm. the one, so I'd get ahead of time. And uh, when we got to uh, Korea, it had went bad logistically. And if something goes bad logistically, as far as cars go and stuff like that, then the whole trip turns to shit or can turn to shit. So Korea had gone bad, and I was in. Uh, would you? Would that be a situation where you, as executive protection, would advise skipping the stop? It or can't you don't have that option? 
you know, you, you probably don't. You, you can yeah. always say no, but what's going to happen is, is you have to say no because it's not safe. You can't say no because it's hard work. Right. And and my position right. would be is that if I'm on the ground, it's my job to make those logistics go smooth. Right. No matter what shit show I'm handed, I'm, I'm the one that's got to make it work. You've got to figure out a way. And that's part of your job. Part of my job. Is to yeah. enable yeah. the client to keep the schedule. To do what they do. Right. The, the, the goal was not for them to not... The goal was not for them to stay at home and stay safe. They got a job to do. You got to protect them while they do their job. Right. They're responsible to the film. That's right. And they, and for they, promotion, that's written into their contract. I'm, I'm sure. I, you know, I don't and, know about the contractual part, but I know I'll a lot of them have felt probably some degree. You you know, know. Yeah. And and they the but they feel personally responsible. So I get to Taipei, and uh, the local guys tell me, "Listen, I've got." Uh, I think the number was 50 or 75 people for the airport arrival, and I've got uh, 50 for the hotel arrival. I'm like, that's fucking madness, you know. You, and, 50 yeah, EP security guys? guys? No, not EP guys, security, static security guys. Right. So I'm like, that's, that's a tremendous shit ton of people, you know. And they put them all in an auditorium for me to brief on how we're going to do business. When Taipei... Uh, people have access to areas that they normally don't have access, like the airport had complete and utter access, that they didn't want to give us any barricades to get through the airport. So I had to show the guys how to link arms, turn their backs to the crowd, and form a box of people with their arms linked. And then I had the client on the inside, and then I had a loose diamond personnel around him, and then I had a couple extra floaters so that when the crowd would surge against this box, they could they could maybe step in if somebody went down, or they could help reinforce a corner of the box of all these guys linking arms. And then the client was able to safely, on the inside of that box, shake hands like it was a barricade. So he was able to shake hands, sign autographs. Through the box, out the front of it, that sort of thing. Uh, we were coming through the airport, and I had, the, the guy, I had a few guys around, not as many as I needed once we hit the public areas. And I heard this, like, roar, and it, I could hear, hear it was people. And I looked around the corner, and all the, these women that worked at this airport came charging around this corner, charging towards the client, and they were all dressed alike, <laughs> like, a, like in uniforms, and they were all about this tall. And I'm like, I'm gonna, this is what's going to end me. I'm going to be run over by these motherfuckers. <laughs> all the shit I've done, I'm going to be run over by a be. bunch of women in schoolgirl outfits or whatever the hell it was, yeah. you know? <laughs> so the, uh. that, that Lincoln Arms, you know, I came up with that on the fly. I hadn't, no one mm-hmm. had taught me this is how you're going to do a formation if you go to Taipei and you've got 1,500 people waiting at the airport for you. Right. That's the way. So I saw that technique at a, uh, I'd like to share that it was at a very advanced training course, but it was at a wet t shirt contest. And, <laughs> and they had. Well, the, that's resourceful. Is, isn't it? They had the. <laughs> There was applying a, the experience. There was a gap in your uh, <laughs> a gap in your protection between when the when the women went up on stage and their stage. Right. So these these all these big guys had linked arms and had put their backs up against everything. So it's <laughs> a lot of questions there, right? So yeah. I mean, what? Where do you come up with all this crazy shit? Is this is just a huge amount of experience and in a huge number of different situations? And this is a constantly changing equation. Yes. 
Yeah. And it's just a, a, so a guy just starting out that's been doing this six months has not got a prayer of being able to figure. In other words, there's not an executive protection book that teaches you all of this shit. No, there's not. There's there's plenty of books, but they don't teach all the shit. So you got a couple things. The first is, is you've got natural ability. Training is mm-hmm. a polishing action, and you can't right. polish a turd. So right. you got natural ability. Yeah, natural you can either do it or you can't. You can think on your feet. You can do these things. You can deal with with uh, what right. they call it uh, uh, being a bricolore. You can make sense out of madness. Right. You can right. either do that or you can't. And then there's tools that you pick up. Uh, the, the school, we'll talk about the school in a bit, I guess. The school that, uh, there's tools that you can pick up at a school where you learn big picture things, and then you get the experience. And then the more the more experience you got, the better you get at using the tools, and the better it polishes your natural talent, right? So mm-hmm. it all builds on each other as long as you stay relevant and you stay at it. So if you got natural talent, then you get some good training, and you start getting good experience, then you get better at the tools you learned, and then it polishes the natural ability. And some people do really well at it, and they make a fortune, and some people don't do really well at it. Right. If I am looking at uh, an opening, if I'm looking at red carpet situation, okay. who are the EP guys? Okay, so What are they going to look like? they got suits. It depends on the, they, depends on the, the customer. It depends on the client. Right. Uh, I, uh, I took a tux one time for a red carpet because I was told that everybody needed a tux for the red carpet. And then when I got there, the client said, listen, you're going to be the only motherfucker wearing a tux if you wear a tux out here. Right. So I didn't wear a tux, right? Right. So, uh, bad info. Bad huh? info. So every once in a while, I'd wear, I'd always wear a blazer to cover up all your shit. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the time, it'd be dark clothes. And occasionally, I'd wear a tie, but very seldom wear a tie. Sometimes I'd wear a tie. Right. Um, the uh, red carpet, learning how to manage a red carpet is a big part of this stuff. So you're going to have uh, the client there. You're going to have some film people doing some stuff, taking pictures, right? And then you're going to have the strap hangers holding on to the client's shoulder, right? Because they want to hang out with the client and be important. Who and are these people? The strap hangers could be anywhere from from people associated with a production company. It could be uh, venue people that are there that want to get shot on camera. It could be uh, somebody personally associated with the client that's standing by that client in case the client's got particular needs, right? Mm-hmm. Personal assistance, personal assistance, stuff like that. Uh, right. Generally, there'll be a there'll, there'll be a uh, a management or an agent person will be walking along for that too, mm-hmm. depending on the size of the client, you know. And then you've got local security. Now, this is very important. Local security's job at a red carpet event is to stand somewhere so that they get a picture taken of them with the client so they can get laid that night. That's their number one fucking job. So everywhere you go, you've got some fuck nut trying to get in the shot, right? Right. If I stand beside and rip, I'm going to get laid. That's all I have to do. Right. Um, So... So you got that to deal with. So you, when you're managing the red carpet, you know, you, you keep it as clear as possible from people. You've got all this screaming and shouting going on. You've got the client shaking hands. And you got to be careful not to step back and step to hell on somebody by accident, step on their foot, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, if you got a, a female client, she got a long dress, you got to be close enough to take care of her, but you can't step on her damn dress, right? That's right. Pretty you got to keep people from stepping keep people on her. So it's a, it turns into quite the, quite the event. The cleaner you keep the red carpet... And the more you manage that environment, the better off you are. Now, if somebody says, well, I wouldn't let my client get out of the car if that was a situation, then they've never been someplace all fucked up 
trying to protect somebody, right? You got to make sense out of this. This is what you're dealing with. Right. You can't not let the client get out of the car because their job is to get out of the car. And and, and unless I can clearly identify something where I could say, listen, ma'am, this is not safe. You know, unless I could clearly identify something where I was out of this case. I was, uh, I've had clients wait before. I've, not in the car, I hadn't had him wait, fortunately, but I've had him wait at the hotel room before we left before because the guy on the ground, I wanted to give him more time to make th- things happen. Now, right. if you've got a, a, a talented protection guy, they're making things happen. If you've got a guy that's not talented or, or a girl that's not talented, they're just hanging out waiting for the client to show up. They're not right. there working it. Right. So the way about the security guys is they, they, will not ha- they shouldn't have anything else going on other than focused on that client, mm-hmm. that client, and they'll move with that client. Yeah, move with the client. So once an EP guy get paid, I would assume this is commensurate with his experience, his reputation, his previous client list. That would have to do with how much in demand he is. The more in demand he is, the more money he makes a day. This, these are day fees. Is there a long-term contract? Yeah. How's, this, how's this all handled? It, it, there's some some guys are working corporate gigs where it's a it's a regular corporate gig and salary salary and that's a position um, that that's a form of EP and that's fine um, guys that are doing it um, uh, they're doing it they're picking up different clients then it depends on how much money is coming in for that particular event uh, guys will set a rate and that rate they won't go below that rate but if something is pressing or they need them. In the morning, they got to leave their house. A friend of mine just had to leave her house uh, with a couple hours' notice, right? And that costs more. Right. You know, that costs more. Right. So the number is, uh, depending on uh, on who's defining executive protection, because not everybody defines it the same, right? Somebody might say that an unarmed security guy is executive protection. He just doesn't happen to have a uniform on, right? Right. So they, then the money can be from very, very little to a, a fucking whole lot. Couple right. grand a day, you know. Couple of grand a day couple is considered a, day. a lot of money. Yeah, considered a lot of money. I, I hate to be one of them geezers that says back in the day, but uh, way back when the uh, the money across the board was generally higher because there weren't as many people doing it. Now it doesn't mean that the quality's going up. It just means that there's the, more the people. Supply the supply is going up. So the, the the money overall has come down over the years. Really? Yeah. It's sort of if you if you look at it, it I mean not. I'm sure there's somebody out there that'll piss and moan. It's not the case, but it simply is the case. The money has come down over the years uh, for a whole lot of people. For right. the people at the top of the game, it's not coming down. Right. Because they they'll, they'll they'll do something else. So, how many people at the top of the game are there working right now in this country? Oh damn! I, I, I a couple would, of hundred. Yeah. You know, it depends or, on how you. A friend of mine used to use percentages, but that doesn't really help us because we don't we don't have a whole number to take that percentage right. off. But he, he always liked to talk about the one percenters, and the one percenters are somebody that can that can travel internationally, that can work one on one with a client, that can do the advance work, that can be a part of their lifestyle, that's going to fit into their lifestyle, that can they can hang out with them. And, and not draw attention to themselves, and they can fly under the radar, and then has contacts in different parts of the world where they can call and get help if they need it, and they can make arrangements on the phone. Uh, that, those are the one percenters, you know? And there's well, not that, that many That's a large skill set. That's, yeah. 
you know. Yeah. Now, if you if you need somebody to walk around with some goofball in New York for three days, then you can pick up a ton of people that right. would do that, you know. But I guess not everybody can travel overseas because passport conditions and yeah, the, the uh, language accessibility this. Yeah. This this sort of thing are not yeah the, they're they're not available to be gone for three weeks. If if you get in a business, this, you ought to be able to get a passport. If you can't get a passport, something's wrong. The, you can't get a passport. You shouldn't. You be shouldn't in be in a business, right? Uh, the um, the ability to travel. You know, there's a lot of people that have traveled with large groups. There's a lot of people that have traveled under um, with guidance and with help and different things, right? Right. But to to show up on your own and make all of this stuff happen personally. To manage the drivers, manage the local security, especially in a lot of places like uh, you go to some places, uh, some Asian countries, you know, and when they say yes, it doesn't mean yes. So you say, I need these rock and roll barricades, and they'll say, oh, yes, I know. And then you'll say, I need this, and they say yes, because it's rude to say no. Right. That doesn't mean. It doesn't mean it's It means be there. I understand. Not I agree. Yeah, I don't. I don't want. Right. I don't want to be rude by saying no, but there's no no shit in the way it's going to happen, John. You right. know. So, so you you understand those things, and then you sort of plan for it. You say, all right, that's they said that's going to be there, but I'm going to have to walk by and take a look at it to make sure. It's right. There. Make sure it's what, it. I, what yeah. I ordered. Yeah. Well, I suppose that uh, extremely young people who appear to be extremely young. Mm-hmm. are probably less effective as EP people than a mature you, you know individual, what, right? Know, I mean, that, that seems reasonable to... It's hard you to... You got see. a little baby-faced 22-year-old kid. It doesn't really matter what he actually knows or can do. He's got a different physical presence than a 45-year-old guy. Right. Well, yes. That's how, there's no doubt about that. The the, the presence, the presence, and the gravitas, and all that sort of thing, it plays into it. Right. No sure. Doubt. It would obviously play into it. But I was I was very young. I hadn't hit my thirties yet, and I was running details overseas, and I was having former this and former that, working for you on a part time detail, and and age is not always a benefit. Right. It's simply not. Um, now there are some very capable guys that are. That are pushing seventy now that are still doing the job. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's there's value to both. I'm not one of them, I, I I don't think that just because somebody's young doesn't mean that they can't do the job. Right. I don't think that. Well, but, it might, but it might influence their position in the detail. It could. It, a right. lot of times we would. Um, I was uh, younger, so I would get put on the advance a lot because I could hustle, and I and I I was very fortunate when I got in the business. You know, we'll, we'll talk about the uh, training later. But when I got in the business, I went to work for a guy that was already famous, a personal protection guy that was already famous. Right. And uh, I won't mention his name because he, he doesn't uh, like that sort of exposure. But he was already famous for being one of the most talented guys around. And right. That was 30-some years ago, and he's still doing it now, you know. So when I went to work for him and and we spent 45 minutes learning how to open a car door, and I thought I was going to lose my goddamn mind, or when you go out to lunch and instead of just enjoying lunch, he'd be talking about, well, when you go into the Ritz at, in Paris, this, you're going to see this on your left and you'll see this in front of you. And I, he got just swamped with that shit every right. second. I managed to listen to some of it. So um, <laughs> then I went to New York and worked for a really well-known, difficult client with a legitimate uh, risk. 
and uh, that upped my experience quite a bit. A matter of three years or two and a half, three years, I was probably on the road 250, 300 days out of the year. With this client? With this client. Yeah, I guess that's kind of a crash course. Yeah, and we had to get young guys. Uh, not that there's not a lot of old guys that can work their ass off, I understand that, but we had to get young guys for that detail because of a couple of things. Number one, the living conditions. Usually, if an old guy, you can work his ass off all day long as long as you can give him a good place to crash at night. Right. You know, and the living conditions there uh, were, weren't um, what your person would go accustomed to. Now, when you traveled, your hotels were always the greatest, right. finest stuff, you know. But the hours were so long that you would uh, right. you'd go to bed at 12, 12.30, and then you'd be back up and running at, uh, we usually set the alarm for 5.15, 5.30. Right. And that, yeah, old you do guys, that for 50 days. Old guys can't tolerate that for 50 days. They don't want Just, to. No. They should be in a position in life right. where they don't have to. By right. Then. By then. Yeah, yeah, by then. Right. Yeah. right. That's and for if they're not, entry-level people. If they're not, you might want to look at why. Why they're not. They're not. Yep, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. How many women are doing this? You know that's an interesting thing. The um, uh, the uh, whenever you you bump into a, a female in a class or you see some female working a detail, you always sort of pay attention to them because the demand for females is so great right. in this business. Uh, the uh, some clients uh, absolutely demand a female protection person, and because there's so few people doing it, the work anyway, then and there's much less women doing the business that when you find a good female that can do the job uh you really focus on them and you try to you, you do your best to right because there's a big demand for a huge, that there's a huge demand for it yeah and uh, the uh, so much of what we do is logistics and planning and attention to detail and surveillance detection and just so much of it involves uh stuff other than knocking the shit out of somebody you know right uh that uh it's very useful to have a, f a friend of mine. Uh, her name's Jessica. She came through a class that I teach at uh, relatively recently, seven, eight years ago. She came through the class. She was a shooter, but that's not necessarily unusual. People being shooters, right? She came through the class. She was a shooter. She uh, she didn't have any protection experience. Uh, she went on a small detail. She noticed an, a problem, a gap in the the, the legal stuff, the legal side of things. Was this detail operating legally? Did they have the license? Was it right for the tax guy? Uh -huh. And she she studied and became a subject matter expert in this one sliver of the stuff. Well, along the way, really experienced guys noticed that she was a subject matter expert in this small sliver that was boring as shit. They started giving <laughs> her, they started using her to take care of this stuff. Right. And she did a good job for him. She paid attention. And most importantly, Jessica kept her damn mouth shut about who she was working for. She didn't brag about these people that she was right. doing this stuff for. And then they would give her increased opportunities. And now she's she's traveling. She was probably out of the country three-fourths of the year last year, traveling, doing protection. Not the small sliver that she became a subject matter expert in, but full-blown protection details. She's on a very complicated detail right now. So uh, there's opportunities there for everybody. If they if they have something to offer, right. Yeah. So, how do you develop into executive protection? Do most guys come out of law enforcement, military? What's the what's the general background before you get to 
executive protection school, as it were. We're, Who does this? So in the late 70s, uh, law enforcement and military. Some intelligence type people, right? But law enforcement and military and some intelligence type people. Every once in a while you get somebody else in the mix. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now I I notice that they come from just about everywhere. So there are some crossover skills between law enforcement and military, obviously. Uh, but just because somebody's a good it, cop doesn't mean they're going to be a good protection person. Well, it doesn't mean they're going to be a good soldier either. They're no, th- no, three completely different no. specialties. I can speak about law enforcement. I can speak about protection. Uh, uh, the soldiering stuff, the military stuff, I can't speak about. I've, I've never been in the military. Right. But but I know that you know it's some crossover skills, But and I've known very talented people that did all three. You know, mm-hmm. uh, But... Now it's not as it's not as clear cut a path as it used to be, or it never was clear cut. But it's not the selection is not necessarily from law enforcement or military. It's from all all different walks of life. Well, law enforcement people and military people have two completely separate jobs. Yes, military people kill people and break things, or support people who kill people and break things. Law enforcement gets in trouble. It pisses all of the rest of us off when they think their job is to kill people and break things. Well, so yeah, so so because that's should, not their that's job. That's not their job. That's them. not their job. It, it might be a, a, a unfortunate side effect, but that's not their priority. So right. So with to for law enforcement and protection uh, to take a very complicated answer and reduce it down to its finest point, a good cop is always looking for trouble to get into. Right, because mm-hmm. that's how you stir up shit. Right, you're right. looking for the drugs. You're looking for this. You're looking for that. You're always looking for something, and you're looking to lay hands on somebody and make it make an arrest. A protection guy is looking to avoid all of this trouble way before anybody else even knows that it's trouble. Right. You want to. You want to. The pl- last thing a protection guy wants to do is to have to lay hands on somebody for a client. Yes. Because if I would imagine that. If that occurs, that would mean that somebody has failed at some point in the analysis. Yeah, it, it, it somebody's failed, but it, <coughs> I haven't had to deliver the hands-on thing on a few times. Uh, sometimes a failure is not the protection guy. Sometimes right. a failure is someplace else. But yeah, something. And else sometimes just random shit happens. Random a guy walks into the walks into the situation. Nobody was planning on it. Nobody can control it, and it has to be dealt with. Yeah. But I would imagine. That if that has to happen, it reflects badly on the client. Yes. If if the client's if, if the, the client yes. The, yes. is it, you don't want to show the client in a position of vulnerability or reacting to something yeah. that went badly that would reflect poorly on the client. And when you later look, on down the road, when we were talking about protecting all aspects of the client, right? Right. That's part of the protecting, protecting from embarrassment. Right. Standing there while you're doing something still and rolling around the garage trying to shrimp in between fucking bar stools or something. You right. Know? Yeah, that so, doesn't look good. Yeah. So you want to avoid that. Yeah. The um, it's always interesting, you know, I um, you try to you try to prepare and if you plan, people say, well, the plan, you know, uh, all plans disappear with the first punch. You hear all that shit. But it's preparing. So planning is part of preparing. Now, even if the plan goes to shit, if you've prepared well enough, if you understand your environment well enough, 
then even if something happens that's not according to plan, you're still prepared for it, right? So every step along that red carpet, every step I'm with a client walking down the street, every time I approach a car, I'm, you're thinking, all right, where am I gonna go if? Right? One of the things we talk about is it's easier to decide when to do something than what to do. Right. If you've got guys coming into protection from police, military, intelligence, you know, I would imagine attorneys, state managers, everything, anything you, you can know, imagine. any 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 position you can imagine, accountants, accountants you know, people anything. that are used to dealing with yes. a lot of data and moving things around in an orderly, analytical fashion, probably would would have the raw material necessary to be EP. So how do you learn EP? Is there a school? How many schools are there? there? There's countless schools. Back in the old days, there was only a couple. The, the, the school that I promote and the one I've worked at forever uh, is the Executive Protection Institute. It's been around since 1977. It was started by uh, Richard W. Kobetz. We lost him a year and a half ago. Uh, he passed away. He started the school. And his original goal was is to uh, be able to look like, act like, dress like your client so you could go where your clients went, right? So his is all about preparation. So uh, so being able to fit in and blend into the environment, you know, mm-hmm. and still take care of business. Right. And he was a very big, tough, capable guy, and he attracted big, tough, capable people around him. And um, and he started this school. And the, the thing that I like about that school is that it focuses on the realities of executive protection and it changes with the times and the people that teach there are people that are doing the work or are subject matter experts in something that applies to that work do you know what i mean so mm-hmm. it's not, and it's not a bunch of war stories we've got a very clean uh, very clean well-defined lesson plan changes every time we teach class and people come through and if they got something to offer they generally get a job. They can find a job. Now it's not a placement program. Right. It's a school. So sure, good schools are not placement programs. In most places, that say they will get you a job. We're not particularly good schools, and that's true of any situation like that. You think so? Yeah. I, yeah. I really do. Yes, I, I really do. I, uh, if the focus is the end product, they're going to be more likely to get you shit out the other end of the thing and matriculate you than they are to actually put you through a process that might eliminate you. Because yeah. if they're selling matriculation, yeah. you know, this is like in the in the fitness certification business. Sure. If you don't pass, you don't pay. Oh, come on. It's kind of weird. You know, that's, but that's what they do. If, that's what they do. If someone, uh, the school was designed to appeal to, and the tools, and I've, I've had a lot to input into the lesson plan, you know, and I've done this stuff. I've protected... Uh, celebrities, businessmen, politicians. I did some witness protection, not a lot, and, and uh, the government officials are protecting them all. You know, uh, so I've I've put together tools that can be applied across the board. So if you are a very skilled guy coming in with a lot of experience, then you can take these tools and you can apply them. If you're new to the business, then you take those tools and you can apply them. Uh, a guy that's been lifting. You know, a guy that's really strong can do deadlifts better if you measure by the weight than somebody mm-hmm. that's not. But you can still, that same tool, you can still learn from it. Right? Mm-hmm. So so we've had very good luck with it. That's who I've supported over the years. Uh, they've been loyal to me, and I've been loyal to them. It's not a significant part of my income, for God's sakes, but I, I still enjoy it. For years, it would cost me right. money to go there. This is probably a question on some people's mind. How much um, overlap 
similarity borrowing from is there between executive protection and the Secret Service? That's a good question. The, the, um, a long time ago, I was, uh, I was assigned to protect a guy, and it was at a place called King of Prussia, and it was a shithole then. It's still kind of a shithole. It's not a very big place. It's in Pennsylvania, and it's a bunch of business. It's like a industrial park, right? Right. So the guy was going to come in. I was meeting him at the steps, meeting him at the door when he got out of his car, take him up the elevator, take the meeting, walk him back out of the meeting, put him in the car and take off. Pretty that was easy, it. Pretty easy gig, right? Pretty mm-hmm. easy gig. So I jump on board. I get there early. I run the routes to the hospital, all, all the shit you do. And then I'm waiting for the guy. I get him in the room, and I'm there. Uh, about 15 minutes later, this dude comes hustling up, running late to the meeting. He's a protection guy. I recognize the guy he was with. And they get in. And whenever you're with somebody and you're standing outside in the hallway or you're standing in a doorway or you lean up against a car, a lot of people feel an overwhelming need to impress upon you how cool they were at some other job <laughs> because standing out in the fucking rain this or lean up against the wall it implies a level of subservience yes, that, it's not that, particularly cool right 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 so right. so so he started regaling me with tales of unbelievable competence right and then he <laughs> was asking me a bunch of questions now i'm 20 couple years old at the time you know so he said uh, what model of protection do you use I didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. So yeah. what are you talking about? What model? He said, well, we use the Secret Service model of protection. Right. That's all you do. So I walked to the window, looked out the window. He said, what are you looking for? And I said, I'm looking for local law enforcement. I'm looking, I'm looking for uh, uh, suburbans. I'm looking for big giant trucks. I'm looking for guys with guns. I'm looking for motorcades. I'm looking for all this shit because that's what Secret Service does. <laughs> Everywhere the Secret Service goes, they're accompanied so, by so all of, shit. of these accoutrements. Yeah, all, right? all this stuff. And he says, well, I didn't mean that. I said, what did you mean? <laughs> he said, well, you know, the way we carry ourselves. I said, so you wear cheap suits and you wear shoot-me-first earpieces even you got nobody to fucking talk to. And right. that's how the Secret Service does business. No, it's not. Only people can protect <laughs> like the Secret Service is the Secret Service, right? It's the only right. people in the world because they're the only ones with the, with the budget and with the authority and all that sort of right. stuff. So... The carryover can be there, but for the type of clients that I worked, not so much. Really? Be, be, yeah, because the you're not you don't have the now. There's some very talented guys that left the Secret Service, and 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 did very well in the private sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, the they had to change their they had to change the way they did procedures business. had to change the way they did business right because they don't have the personnel they don't have the manpower you know at Secret Service you got guys that do nothing but keep an eye on a goddamn car you got all this local law enforcement support. right you got all this different things and it's just not available to the vast majority of customers <laughs> well no, nobody can protect somebody right. from Secret Service nobody's got the budget right right like I mean life has no uh, there is no price on life but there is a budget right? there is <laughs> there is a budget so. What's the what's the earpiece, the little clear coily thing? Where does yeah, that go? They, they've gotten better over what the years. What the hell is that? They all have one of I, those things. So if you and I are sitting in a bar, Rip, and yeah. we're sitting there, and we're dressed like this, we're just two exceptionally good-looking guys hanging on the bar. Two, but in a yeah, relatively it, innocuous, although handsome, although handsome, and distractingly so, distractingly so, you so. Know, but if you with with a with a magnetic 
It's just a draw. You know, a tr- draw to panties just draw Those women. Yeah, it's us. So, what, so it, it's worth sitting there like that. Right. We're fine. Right. We're blending in. We're not drawing attention to ourselves. Not right. anything. We sitting there with an earpiece in and a and a tablet up and clicking away and looking at pictures and not so surreptitiously taking pictures of exits and <laughs> shit. Then we're drawing all this attention to ourselves. Right. 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 We're, we're security. So, right. so the everything that a countermeasure does good, it does something bad. If I'm drawing attention to my client then I have created an additional vulnerability because it's made them more recognizable. There's an acronym called Why would this person need security? Not just why, but now, now, if it's a client that's not, so what'll happen is, is um, you go to a big airport like LA or something, you walk around, you look for the security, and then you wait to see who they're there to pick up. Right. It's not, right. It's not complicated, right. right? You can see them a you mile see, away. You see a security mile away, and you just wait for them to pick up. A friend of mine was at a mall in uh, outside of D.C. the other day, and, and uh, they texted me. They said, listen, I got, I got security all over the place. I'm trying to figure out who they're protecting. And they eventually mm-hmm. figured it out. Now, there's right. a good chance that if that person would have had a much lower profile security, they wouldn't have drawn attention. I'd, right. I was working with a client in Vegas one time. I had to live at the Bellagio for five months. It was fucking horrible. <laughs> you know, just yeah. a terrible, stressful event. And when I met this client for the first time, they said, uh, I'm glad you're here. I don't want to interfere with the paycheck. But it's been my experience that if I go into a, a nightclub or a bar or something and I've got security, they draw so much attention to me that it's, it's worse than if I go in by myself. Right. And I said, well, yes. That's your calculation, I guess. That's, 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 that's because you've had shit security. You've had guys that didn't know oh, how to blend in. Right. right. They couldn't blend in. They didn't learn the environment. They didn't, they didn't figure out where to stand. Now, sometimes you have to be there, and your presence and the deterrence of you being there outweighs drawing attention to yourself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that occurs, and that's just part of the you deciding what countermeasure to use. But most of the time, if you can go unnoticed, well, the less attention you draw to yourself, the better off you are. Would you say that, that the best protection is the least obvious? Depending on the environment. It all depends on risk, right? So the easy answer would be yes. That's the easy answer, right. but that's not going to always be the answer because right. best is very hard to define. Well, I guess there are some circumstances where you want it obvious. The guy's being protected. You want right? a presence, and maybe that obvious, right. maybe that presence there, is to distract uh, potential attention away from somebody else that's there doing protection too. They're just not being obvious. Ah, I see. Yeah, so. Right. It's like it's like. Um, and this is the decoy. In a way, and, yeah. a, and the real guys, yeah. you're so, not even so looking I'll, at. I was working right. with a client. They called me up. They went out on their own, which happens, right? They went out on their own. They called me up and said, listen, John, I'm at such and such. It's kind of jammed up. Um, can you get me out of here? I'm like, yeah, I'll get you out of here. I said, a few minutes from now, there'll be a big, giant white limo pull up in front from an unnamed hotel that we weren't staying at. He said, am I going to get in that limo? I said, no, you're going to sit right there. So the big limo pulled up out front. Everybody surges around this big limo. I walk past security at the front of the place, go past the bouncers, go get this guy, go out the back and grab a cab and go back home. Right? <laughs> you know, why? Right. You know, you can out-clever yourself, but generally speaking, I avoided that whole shit show out front. Right. Yeah. Now you, you won't this is like a professional away. magician. Yes, yes. Right. If you can He's giving you something to look at. Yeah. 
that he wants you to look at because he doesn't want you to look at something else. Yes, right. Yes, that's exactly right. right. Being an escape artist is one of the things that a good uh, protection <laughs> guy is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I guess those are the basics. Tell us a story. Tell us a story. You worked with a whole bunch of people. You and I are friends, and you told me some names. And we're not going to talk about that because that's unprofessional. But you've worked with a bunch of important people, and uh, uh, I know you've been places and done a bunch of cool stuff. So what do you tell us a story that doesn't rat anybody out? That doesn't rat anybody out. Uh, the um, I was in uh, Spain. And so uh, at the at a, at expo, a world expo, and this is when uh, <laughs> Princess Di and everyone, Princess Di was still alive, you know. That's right. how long we're going back. And I, uh, they had a big tent. The the Brits had a big tent set up in this world expo. Mm-hmm. And I'm mid twenties, and I'm yeah. in a shoot. I'm in a suit that a guy in his mid twenties can afford. And I'm protecting this. I'm protecting this female client, and her job was to. She was going to go inside the main door of this tent, hang out where the royal family was, hang out with everybody, and shoot the shit and do everything else. And then I was to wait, and I'd already picked out a great place to wait to sit in a chair, until she came back out. They they've got security set up. The royal family's in there for God's sakes. Everybody's got this cool thing that shows that they're allowed to be in there. Uh-huh. Everything's perfect. So I walk up there with this with this client, and she says, stay with me, because it was one of these little wheelie things, right, where you you, know, you got to walk in the little, like a ride of a King's Dominion. Serpentine a little serpentine. Ca- like a ride of King's Dominion. Right. So I'm in there with her, and we get up, and I've got a break in this little barricade. I'm like, I'm going to step out through that break. And uh, and avoid this and step out and let her go inside. So when we got up there, she was a little bit in front of me, and she says, "John, come here. You can see the princess. You can see her right there. Oh <laughs> see the princess, you know." So I, she goes, "Get in line. You can see the princess." I said, "You can come up here." And I'm like, "All right." So I go up there with her, and then I'm in the line, and that's it. There's no place to go. And you can't get out. I can't get out. So between the barricade that controls uh, personnel and between the guy looking at the card to make sure that you get in is a little gap and what they call that in physical security is does physical security support access control well that gap meant that physical security did not not support support access control so when she got up there she handed him the pass the, the the little card and I stepped behind this guy as he was looking at her card, and I stepped right beside her when she came out. So I bypassed every security that they had, everything they had uh. in place, everything they had. I bypassed by stepping around, right? I did the what they call the path of least resistance. Very clever of me to step around security. It was almost unheard of genius on my part to be able right. to step behind a security guy. Right. So I'm in line with her now, and I'm like, Fuck. And you're in. A- I'm in. The deal where you don't have a pass to be. No, I'm inside. Well, then, (laughs) so then I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm finished. Well, that's not finished at all because you go up there and there's some dude there with a British accent and some girl there with a British accent. 
and they ask you your name, and then they announce it, and the whole crowd looks up while you walk down and shake hands with the royal family. Oh, my So the client goes in front. She goes, her name. They announce it. Shakes hand. I said, <laughs> I said John Musser. Mr. Musser. And I go down and shake hands with the royal family. <laughs> I felt like, like Frank Drebin from Police Squad, right? <laughs> so I'm like, I am fucking fired you know this is done <laughs> so i hang out with her and well I, it was her fault I mean, <laughs> well yeah, yeah. I, I blame everything on a client of course <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> so i'm like you know 20 some years old i'm eating good i'm drinking lots of good tea and coffee and hanging out and we're in there for a while and then she leaves and she never mentions it and i get back to the hotel prior to having a cell right. phone of course i get back to the hotel and i call this guy up and the guy's running the detail, and I trust him completely, you know. And he started laughing before I was even finished the fucking story. He goes, you were her <laughs> official escort. I said, is that the story? He said, nobody will ever ask. And they never did. Wow. So it's, it took me how long to defeat their whole security process, right? Well, One 30 step. seconds. Yeah. <laughs> 15 seconds. But I got to shake hands with all of them. Well, that's interesting. I wonder if anybody learned anything from this on nobody their end. Nobody ever knew nobody, about nobody it. Nobody said anything to me. Nobody said anything. So one of the things you do, if, you, if, you're, if you're looking at a place, anytime you do a, an assessment for vulnerability, you look at it from the point of view of the bad guy. So mm -hmm. anything anybody's listening takes away from this, always look at everything like the bad guy. Think like the bad guy. That's the number one thing. Yeah. So try to you, pick it apart. Try to pick it apart. So as I was approaching the place, when I say a vulnerability assessment, I'm really saying a target assessment, right? Because I'm looking mm -hmm. at it like a target. So every place you approach, you look at it like a target, and you think, all right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Well, I had my whole 15 seconds to figure out how I was going to defeat this security, and it worked out perfectly. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's just excellent. Do you want another? You want another stupid physical security story? Oh yeah. All right. So, uh, I got hired to. Uh, there was a an organization that was having a big uh, meeting, uh, and it was a member meeting, and it was going to be uh, fifteen hundred people there in this fucking giant place, right? Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, there was a uh, a parade, a Cinco de Mayo parade, and at the same time there was a protest in the front. So this this is a big fucking event. Well, there's no really well-known people there. I was I was there to more manage the manage the event itself and to manage the security and this and that. Mm -hmm. On behalf of a client, or? on behalf of a client, the client was the people holding the event. Oh, okay. And right. they wanted somebody outside to come in, which was a very um, it was a brave thing on their part to admit that they needed somebody from the outside looking at it. So it was a good thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I came in to view it, and uh, we went with these. Uh, in front of the front of the stage, we went with these little stanchions uh, that's got rope and rope and pole, right? You see them at strip joints and places, mm -hmm. and, and they got the little hook on them, right? So right, we went right. with those. And the reason you go with something like that is that I'm not worried that this crowd—it's all friendly crowd—and all these people. I'm not worried about anybody surging. But what that does is, is it identifies. Uh, it's a statement of of uh, it, it identifies a boundary. Right. It's don't, just don't a, go past it. It's a barrier, a boundary. Don't, don't, don't. don't, don't. Idea. Well, what yeah. would it be called? Just a. It's, just a, a, it's, it's a. It's a. It's, it's a psychological barrier. Yeah. It's, it's like, what it is. Hey, knucklehead, yes. don't right. don't go past it. And then and then it. The other thing it does, it gives you opportunity. It's like the, it's a statement of intent. So if somebody goes up there, they see that, 
it's very clear you're not supposed to step over. Right. If they step over it, then it, you can focus on it and right. do something about it. So we went with that, and everything was fine. Well, then there was a few people coming in, and they brought some different security with them of mixed skill set. And at 11 o'clock at night, I get a call from the director of this organization security, and he said, such and such is detailed here, and they want to bring in barricades for in front of the crowd. I said, all right, I'll come down and look at it. So I got down, and I looked at this guy that was the security guy from the outside, and I identified him. As soon as I saw him, I knew everything there was in the world to know about him. He was a, 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 a former cop who had hurt his back vacuuming at home and went and declared partial disability. He had a holster sniffer buddy with some money in his pocket, and they'd started a security company, and he was the cat's ass. He was, he was away from town. Right. He was on per diem. He was, he was the cat's ass. And yeah. So he came in. And he said, listen, uh, I need barricades up here. I said, is there something, is there some concern I'm not aware of, right? And he said, uh, I've got no concerns other than this barricade. <laughs> he's already a, so, he's already a cop. He, so, he? yeah. So, <laughs> I said, no, he's uh, a vice principal I said, is what he is. Yeah. Because... I said so. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a, right. he's a coach, right? Right. He's a, he's a, uh, so I yep. said, um, no, these are staying. And he said, uh, why? I said, you're too stupid for me to explain. <laughs> <laughs> because if I got to go through the basics of, I've got to go do a physical security lecture that anybody that's ever done anything from fucking fencing a cattle to have an electric collar on a dog, if, that anybody that's ever done that understands it. If I've got to go through that, with him at 11 o'clock at night, it's too much work. You wouldn't understand the explanation. And I should have been right. like, not today, Satan. You know, should have done something like that. But I, I just said, you're too stupid. I can't. I don't have time to explain this. <laughs> and then the next day they said, John, was there another way to do it? I said, I could have called him a prick. <laughs> I mean, there were wants, several ways to do it. You just, if, if he wants me to teach him time, his job, right? if he wants me to teach him his job, you have to pay for it. It's a separate bill. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're too stupid. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. I, I've gotten less shy about that as I've gotten older. I, I, had, I you know, I used to think I was better, but I'm not. Um, yeah, I'm, I've gotten. I was bad in the early days when you were so busy and working so hard. You, mm -hmm. you started to have less tolerance for stuff, and then you would snap at stuff. And that's mm -hmm. not. There's better ways to do stuff, but. I yeah. never learned many of them. <laughs> how about how about uh, some of the physical gear questions? What do you what do you carry when you're at work? The, does uh, it does it vary with the client? What is what is, what's your typical kit? It's all about the risk, and 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 a typical kit. You know, uh, unfortunately, I don't sell go bags. I don't sell gear. I don't sell anything with Velcro. I don't sell what are those rails? They look like shelving from fucking Lowe's that they're putting on the side of those little varmint rifles now. I don't sell yeah. any of that stuff. Right. So the money is absolutely in the shovels and the tents. The money's not in the gold. Right. Right. So right. So I don't right. I don't sell any of that. Uh, uh, the risk is going to determine what you carry with you. Uh, a lot of times uh, when you're when you're talking about your personal gear, uh, you'll start to pare down your equipment real quick so that mm -hmm. you don't have to keep track of it. 
Right. Uh, if the risk is a, if you need firearms, then you're going to have to jump through the hoops to get the firearms if you can. Sometimes you can't. You get local guys to take care of stuff. The, the work well, but I mean, just in, in the course of a normal detail, say you're working in in Baltimore, what do you what would you carry? Well, number one, you'd never violate any local laws or customs. We know that. Uh, so you would never do that. So an EP guy with in a jurisdiction that prohibits the carrying of pistols. Yeah, if he's if he's carrying you can't carry him. If he's if he's carrying a gun, it's on him. If things turn to shit, it's on him, right? Right. Well, would he do it or not? It depends on the guy. It depends on the risk. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you are working for a high-profile client, somebody that you might have to go to jail after defending. Yeah. You would probably do it, right? I I wouldn't make that uh, I wouldn't make that call. My advice would be don't break the law. Right. I understand. But, so but, what what yeah. would you let's say you're going overseas, mm -hmm. and you're going to be in and most overseas jurisdictions don't allow you to carry weapons. Right. right. What do you do? Well, you have to determine if the risk if the risk calls for a weapon. If it calls for a weapon, you're going to try to find somebody local. I mean, you can't have a pocket knife in the UK. No. The UK's so, gotten crazy now. Oh, it's yeah. a strange place. The UK's gotten crazy now. It's a strange place. Now, some clients... I uh, mean, a homeowner can't defend his property against... It's insanity. Uh, it's, it's bizarre. It's insanity. And, and they've let that happen to it. Yes. They've, they've, they've chosen yeah. this fiction yeah. over the reality of any situation. Yeah, they've chosen it. So you would not, for example, if you're working in the UK, you're unarmed. Yes, yeah. For the most part, now there's some clients right. that go over, and depending on the treaty arrangements between the countries, depending on the client, some of them will be armed. That happens. And so yeah. they would get special dispensation to yeah. to carry in yeah, a situation that like that. It's, it's pretty rare, but it happens. Yeah. Right. I guess Secret Service in a situation like that does whatever they want to, right? No, no. There's oh, still, they know. No, no, really? There's still treaty arrangements, so they're gonna. Uh, I, I don't know the exact um, details of how they do it. But they'll they'll be armed, they will be armed. But they don't necessarily carry off duty. They're, they've got a shift that right. they carry. There's certain things. Right. So that you'll you'll see that occasionally. I don't know the details of it though. Right. But there's you're you're in somebody else's country. So depending on the, the treaty arrangements, depending on the local support that you got, depending on the client, depends on all that stuff. And it's it's hard. There's no easy rules for that. Mm -hmm. Even traveling in the U.S., you know, uh, there's no. There's no easy answers for any of that. Mm -hmm. and Texas is different than New Jersey. Yes. So, yeah. depending on where you, it, yeah. would you intentionally, well, would it be your preference to have a sidearm if the jurisdiction allowed it to happen? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's not sure. it's not a big part of the deal, but I'm a, I'm a gun guy. I'm going to want to have a gun, right? Right. So, uh, the, uh, it's, it's, the logistics, the planning, the preparation, all that stuff is way more important, and you see examples of that way more. Uh, however, if you can be armed, and a lot of times, you know, there, there are clients out there that will stipulate that they don't want any of their people to be armed. Really? They'll say that they don't want armed security. And that generally means that they've had a bad experience with somebody who was armed. Right. You know, some so, knucklehead. So, all right, uh, back in the 70s, there was a very well-known guy getting presidential security. Uh, he had what uh, is presidential security secret service he was getting secret service. oh okay this guy is very well-known dude uh, he was on a plane in a foreign country and uh, because the guy protecting him one of the guys protecting him was a ninja he had a Uzi and he had taped the grip safety Excellent. Yeah, good move right <laughs> yeah on a Uzi especially 
So what? What? Because he's a ninja. Rip, you got to be fucking quick. I see that safety would have interfered with. Yeah, absolutely. Half Grab, second. Grabbing it makes grip. all the difference. So grabbing the grip. <laughs> yeah. It's just too slow. To yeah. You don't know the speeds I'm capable of. <laughs> so. So he taped up his grip uh-huh. on his Uzi, and he hang it, had it in the in the uh-huh. plane jostled, and the round cooks off, and it misses the guy he's protecting his head by about that much, right? Oh, well, the guy went on to a, went on to a long career, and that's fine, but he put up with a lot of shit every time somebody would see him. Now, that was before my time, but that was a cautionary tale when I came through. So, right. if anybody thought there was too much of a ninja with a gun, that story was always waiting, right? Right. So um, it's it's part of the business. Same as, as, as learning how to fight is part of the business. Being able to take, take care of yourself how to business. How to eat at a full place setting table is part of the business. Right. Knowing how to dress is part of the business. Knowing how to behave in somebody's airplane is part of the business. All that's part learning of the business. Learning how to drink without getting drunk. Learning how to drink without getting drunk if you're going to drink part. at all. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We, uh, yes. I've had I've had different rules on uh, on that with uh, clients. Uh, some we, I was on a detail one time. The first detail I went on, it was uh, thirty days at a time and thirty days off, and then during that thirty days you worked your ass off, and we just had a no no booze rule for thirty days. Right. Because you had thirty days off to drink. Sure. If you to, yeah. But under so- certain social situations, sure. you're going to be expected to it, be able to hold your liquor. Yeah. If it's it's interesting the. Um, it's easy to say, listen, when you're around a client, you'll never drink. But if you've been around a client for 50 days and you're hanging out at their house and they are having a drink and they invite you to a drink, yeah, I'll have a drink. Sure. I, I picked up a guy, um, very tough, capable guy. I'll tell you his name after. I don't mean to be shitty. but uh, Anyway, right. uh, so I was working uh, in Manhattan, and I, I really enjoy Manhattan for a lot of reasons, especially – in the late 80s, early 90s. It was a lot of fun. And uh, so I'm in Manhattan and I get a phone call to meet this guy at the airport, take him right to the movie set. As soon as we get to the movie set, he's gonna do this three hours worth of shit and then his ass is out of there, back to the airport. Now he was a very high profile guy, very expensive guy, very well known guy, tough guy, like a legitimate Uh old school tough guy. He's older than me. so. I'd met him in an awards ceremony way before that, maybe a year or two before that. And I got to the airport, and the, the production assistant, now production assistant on a movie set, they work their ass off and they don't get paid much. But they're the ones that turn into your direct, directors and producers later on down the line. So they stay with it, it's worthwhile. But in the beginning, they're the ones that work the hardest and they don't get paid that much. Mm-hmm. And like I've been on movie sets where the Teamsters would pass around a hat and other unions would pass around a hat and everybody throw money in it so that they could give it to the production assistants at the end of the week because they get paid so little, right? right. So so anyway, so I'm, I'm the production assistant, he's got the headpiece on with the radio and he's got this big tool belt sort of thing. And I'm with the guy from the airline and the, the plane is supposed to land at a particular gate and I've got... I've got a, a contact of mine on the phone, and and the plane's not coming at that gate, and it all turns to shit, and I made the decision I'm going to go to the gate that I think it is. And the airline guy went with me, and the production guy didn't come with me. So then I was at the right gate, and the production guy was at the wrong gate. And that's fine. That happens. So I met the guy. We walked out to the car. The production guy called up to us. We took off. 
We're driving down the road, and the first thing the client says, John, good to see you again. I, I had no idea how you remember my name, right? So John, it's good to see you again. <laughs> yes, sir, it's good to see you too, right? He goes, all right, I need a bar, and I want it to be close to the set. Yes, sir. In Manhattan, it's kind of hard to there's, fuck this one up, you know. There's a lot of the. So we we pull in, we pull in front of this bar. Everybody's on set. They're waiting for him. They're squawking in this dude's ear, and uh, we pull in this bar. We walk in. Me and this guy walk in, sit in the bar, and he says, "You drink?" I said, "I do, sir, but I'm working. No, thank you." He said, "Scotch?" I said, "No, sir, I'm fine." He said, "Scotch?" <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, Scotch. <laughs> he goes, "Can I pick?" I said, "Please." <laughs> so he had his drink. I had a drink with him. We went out and got in the car. He does his couple hours on set. I go back with him to the airport. Right. That's when you're. That's when well, you're. That's, but that's what I was talking about. Yeah. I mean, there are certain social situations yeah. where you're yeah, going yeah, to be expected. So. To, you're you're, you're going to be expected to be able to drink and not make a fucking moron out well, of yourself. you know, a, a, right. a buddy of mine, when he used to hire people, he'd say, uh, he'd say, all right, we're going to do the interview. And it's, there's a whole lot of people who want to do this stuff, but there's not too many people that that are prepared to do it for whatever variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. So finding good people is always hard. Finding good guys is hard. Finding right. good women is hard. Uh, so what we would do is, is we would do the interview, the formal interview, and then he'd say, and when you leave, Go grab a drink with them someplace and see how they act. And there's, oh, that's a good test. There's, a, there's been a bunch of them that's that a, didn't pass They the didn't drink even test. know they were no, still the being test. tested, did they? No, <laughs> no flashing, flashing their watch and chasing ass and yeah. going crazy after two drinks. And you're like, all right, that's fine. Yeah, that's, we need to know that. Yeah. yeah. There's a personality flaw that will have a bearing on. Their employment yeah, status. It's very easy. It's very easy to spot. It doesn't take long to spot. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It certainly doesn't. God, I've been around people that they drink half a beer, and it's as though they've given themselves permission to be a fucking asshole. Yes. Suddenly, perfectly normally behaved prior to that, you know, half ounce of alcohol, and it's, it's well, you, you can't drink. need to get away. No, those. Yeah. Can't have that. If you, you know. can't, if you can't drink, you shouldn't drink. No, that's and you ought to have enough sense to know that. Yeah, that's that's, that's easy enough. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, who uh, who can you tell us about that's that's good at this besides you? Well, I am I am I, I work at it every day. Uh, there's a bunch of really the, the guy that's working currently right now, whose name I can mention, his last name's Cobham. He's probably the best there is in a variety of mm-hmm. jobs, and that's that's right. My you position. mentioned him earlier. He's, He's one of the best there is. Older out there. guy, older guy. He's been terribly experienced. Long, terribly experienced. Uh, my my buddy that uh, I worked for him first, and he ran the first detail I ever worked on. He's still active. He's still kicking ass, and he's still good at it. Now he's at a level that he doesn't have to get up at zero dark thirty anymore. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? He's managing stuff. Um, I um, I got hired off a of detail a while back. Uh, I was probably been in the business for about six, five or six years, maybe four years. I got hired off a of detail to go work for this corporate gig, and I bumped into a guy there named Gallagher, Frank Gallagher, and he uh, he was one of the corporate guys. He had been a Marine, right, and uh, he had came and took this corporate security gig. Started out as a uniform, I believe, and very quickly came to the protection detail. So when I went on the protection detail, uh, he was he, he and I worked together on this detail, and he was a very talented guy. 
and then uh, and then the details sort of started deteriorating, not through anything we did, but just the nature of the beast. And I left, and I wanted to find a place for him to land. So I was able to make some phone calls. Now, and his resume stood on its own at the time. Don't get me wrong, but I was able to call people, and and and, and he went to work for another detail in New York. Now, the detail in New York always needed guys because it was so difficult and it burned them out so quickly. Mm -hmm. Now, the average lifespan of a guy on that detail is two and a half years. Uh, Frank was an exceptional guy. He was there for, I don't know, over a decade, I guess, right? And then he left there and uh, he went to work for, uh, he never did much celebrity work. Uh, he did that, a very high risk detail for a bunch of years, managed that. And then he left there and he started working for. Uh, Bremer. He took care of Bremer when Bremer was uh, ambassador to um, Iraq, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. So when Bremer went over there, he went over there as chief of the detail and took care of Bremer. Wrote a book about it. Uh, fuck. It's called The Bremer Detail, amazingly enough. So he wrote a book about it. Uh, and he's, he's one of the really talented guys that came from the military side of things, you know. So uh, there's some really good, capable guys out there. Uh, I met a guy the other day, uh, seems very... Uh, very capable. His name's uh, Byron Rogers. He's got a, a social media thing. He does a bunch of social media stuff. He's got EP Lifestyle. It's an Instagram thing. I'm not a. I'm not familiar with social media that much, but it, uh, I know that people are getting jobs off of social media, and people are using it to communicate back and forth. If you want to stay relevant, you got to be aware. Right. Of it. Right. Right. So um, same so, with us. Yeah. Doesn't matter whether I like it or not. Yeah. It's just what we have to do. Yeah. So, so Byron talked to me about the social media thing, and he he's a, he seems like a good, capable guy. And he's got a bunch of good people around him. He's working in the business, and he's managing this this uh, EP lifestyle thing that I'm not as familiar with. But I, I sit down. I, I cut time out of the schedule for the class to talk to him a few times, and uh, he's making use of it. He's using it as a pretty good tool, I think. So it's always interesting. You know, if you're not relevant, who gives a shit, right? You, right. you turn into some ranting old right. man that nobody cares about. Right. So I try to stay up with as much as I can. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, I guess the, the important thing uh, that we need to, to do to wrap things up is to, is, to, is to note the fact that executive protection is – a uh, a function of the fact that there are people who need to be protected, and these people are high-profile people. They're wealthy. They're powerful. They're widely known. Mm -hmm. They're celebrities, and the fact that they are widely known and are and are wealthy and are influential means that there is a potential threat anytime these people help. Anytime they're at home, even. The threat of kidnapping, the threat of of uh, assault, threat of uh, embarrassment attempts, bribery, blackmail, this sort of thing, and executive protection, to the extent possible, mitigates these threats so that these people can continue to function effectively in their role as a public figure. Yes, they they've got a. Well, it's whatever role that they decide that they're going to function as, right? right? So so they've got a thing to do. There's a very interesting quote that's attributed to Charles de Gaulle. I don't know that it's true or not. I wasn't there when he said it. But the guy basically said, listen, we can't protect you. It's too dangerous, and you can't go there. And he said, my job is to be 
Charles de Gaulle, your job is to protect me, right? So, <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not. You hear a bunch right. of quotes, you know. The only thing that makes right. something less most believable is if it's an Asian quote. Yeah. Right. <laughs> most, <laughs> most quotes attributed to Charles de Gaulle, he didn't say. He didn't say, right. <laughs> so, but the, so it, what it, it's to support their lifestyle. The function right. is not security. The function is them to live their life. Right, and, and at, the, you to at the level that they have to live. Yeah, and you to reduce the risk. It's all a right. function of risk, to reduce the risk so they can live their life. So would it be safer not to go on a red carpet at all? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. But, that, but that's not the real. To. They're going to go to it. They have to because that's their job. Yeah, some, and, and right. a lot of times people, some people enjoy that stuff more than others. You mm-hmm. know? Well, if a person's going to show up and walk from the car through the red carpet and go inside and not shake any hands – their risk is automatically reduced. Mm-hmm. But that person, but uh, that's, some people decide not to do that. You right. know? So, um, and, the, and the, the, the safer you can make the environment for them, that more it gives them the opportunity to do what they enjoy doing. Right. I mean, they're, they're, it's easy to say things about celebrities and stuff. It's easy to say things about them and attribute traits to them that we want them to have, right? Right. And pe- it's easy to, to, to downplay what they are, but at the end of the day, they're people, they got a job, they got families, they've got husbands, they've got wives. Mm-hmm. There are people that need somebody around, maybe not all the time, but on occasion, mm-hmm. to make things smoother for them. Right. So they can do what they need to do. And, and the public perception of, of people like that is uh, that these types of celebrities and these types of famous people are assholes. And sometimes that's true, but a lot of times it's not. You and I have talked about this several times. Some of these people are fine people. It's been my experience that, that uh, I was thinking about this on the right here. As far as what, what we would determine as being a celebrity, like a, right. a movie star, or celebrity, somebody that you would know and you'd see, it's been my experience that they, were all, they all treated me like gold. They were all concerned with whether I had something to eat. Was I getting enough sleep? They treated me like gold. I, right. I, I've had good luck with anyone that would that, that I've worked for that could be identified as a celebrity. I've had they've all been very pleasant to me. And and a lot of it um, where people have issues sometimes is, is um, they don't realize what goes into that. So there's a whole bunch of drop dead gorgeous people in L.A. Right? There's only there's more in Dallas. There's only a few that are celebrity, right? So there, there's a there reason. really is. There's there's a there's a reason for that, right? right? There's a reason why they are what they are. Now you might not be able to identify it. You might not be able to put your finger on it. But there's a reason why this person has rose to this level, mm-hmm. and this person hasn't. And 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 they uh, they're not like you and I. I mean, they're carbon-based beings, right? But right. they're not like us. Right. Uh, I took a guy one time that, that walked on a stage and leaned against a car and walked off the stage and made over a million bucks for that, whatever that 50 seconds takes. Right. I never got that kind of payday. That's well, not no, like me. No, no, no. There's a reason yeah, why. If, if, it was, if they were like us, then they would in, take turns protecting each other, right? Right. That's not the case. They're in higher demand than we are. Yeah. They're in higher demand than you as executive protection are. Absolutely. Right. And, and I've had. I, I've, and I guess that influences their behavior. The one, the, the, the but, it, I, but it was refreshing to me to, to know that some of these guys, some of these gals that are, that are viewed as, as wealthy, talented movie stars, constantly in demand, you know, 
five million dollars a picture, fifteen million dollars a picture, are still good people. Yes, that will that's just that'll, that'll treat their employees and treat the people that are that are working for them like human beings, yeah. and that not everybody is a is a fucking asshole at that level. That was just. I'm, I'm I'm glad to know that. It, well, it, it, and I, I'm you know I was happy to be able to share it. The the they um, I so I came from a detail that when I when I this is a long time ago. We're going back some years. I came from a detail that was very regimented and very strict and very hardcore. And the risk was there, but the guy was a very difficult person to be around. Spectacularly difficult to be around. <laughs> on a variety of levels, right? <laughs> I went from that detail to working a very well-known celebrity, and it was a complete and utter culture shock. It was, it was all of a sudden somebody's worried about whether I had something to eat or somebody wants to talk to me about stuff or somebody decides I need a new pair of glasses so they, they buy me new glasses. You know, <laughs> just... Insanity that, yeah. and you're like, holy shit! I can see why everybody falls in love with these people, right? Right, and uh, and they're capable people. I went on a, I had a, a I was protecting the guy. We were in, in outside of Vegas, and uh, there was two bikes there for us to use. So we went on this big long motorcycle ride. My bike, my bike breaks down. You know, it's a loner. It breaks down. He's the one that walks down the road until he finds a piece of fucking wire and uses my leather man to fix my bike. And then he rides it back because he says, listen, this thing might act up again. I want to be the guy on it. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's there cool. ain't no chance of me fixing the motorcycle. It breaks down. <laughs> oh, well, that's cool. That's cool. So, yeah. So, I had, I had all good experiences <clears throat> with celebrities. Yeah. It was busy. But it was, right. it was fun busy. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm sure it yeah, was. It was fun busy. Yeah. I'm sure it was. I mean, you, we, you get to someplace like Tokyo, and you're there, and you walk into this red carpet, and uh, this was at a party, and and, I, and the music turned on is very well, very easily recognized theme song. The music kicks on. A whole group of people on both sides grab these big ass ropes and lunge these ropes up in the air, separating the crowd. And all those people screaming, and all the music's playing, and these guys are holding these ropes, leaning back, keeping the crowd back, and they're going down shaking hands. That's pretty heady stuff for a guy that grew up in rural Virginia, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, a friend of mine's listening, and when I met you, you were good at uh, beating people up and keeping your mouth shut. It's the only two things you can do. <laughs> oh, fascinating stuff, John. Listen, I appreciate you being here, man. Thanks I've, for having me. I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed it. Always enjoy your stories, and I just thought mm-hmm. we would share uh, some of those with you people who are – once again, watching Starting Strength Radio, we appreciate you joining us every Friday. And we'll see you next time. Thanks to John Musser for being with us. Talk to you later. Thank you.